Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Watershed Sermon Podcast. Watershed is a worshiping community within Harderwijk Ministries. We gather at 9.45 a.m. in the Anchor Building on the Harderwijk campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Watershed community and Harderwijk Ministries, please visit harderwijk.com. This Christmas Advent season, we uh, started last week a journey through the Christmas story, not just a Christmas story. I, I don't know how many of you have watched a Christmas story already. We, we, we talked about Ralphie this week. Sorry, no wonderful Ralphie illustrations this week. But we're journeying through the Christmas story. As Christians, what do we believe? What is the story of Jesus? And we're doing it in particular through the book of Luke. So in the New Testament, so we've got the Old Testament, uh, which is before Jesus comes, and then the New Testament is the story of Jesus coming into the world. uh, The New Testament starts with Matthew, then hits Mark, and then we have Luke, and then John. There's four basically, basically compilations, experiences of Jesus that get shared with us, so we can have a fuller picture of who Jesus is. But Luke, Luke particularly writes, last week we talked about this, uh, writes to his follower Theophilus uh, so that he could have a certainty that the story of Jesus is a story for us. That we can trust in the promises of God because God showed up in this world. Now we know thankfully that history has proved this. So not just the Bible, but history has proved this. And now the Bible tells us though, what is this story really all about? And Luke says, Theophilus, I'm telling you this story, the Christmas story, to give you a sure and certain hope that is Jesus. And today, as we think about hope, we're going to move also to another Advent theme, and that's peace. That Christ has brought a peace that surpasses all understanding into our lives. He brings a wholeness to our lives that we can't possibly comprehend. We go looking for in a lot of different places. We go looking for meaning and wholeness. We go looking for something that just makes us be able to breathe deep and and rest secure. I don't know about you. I know I do. I look for something that can allow me to breathe in a life that oftentimes takes my breath away. And not usually in a good way. Edward Pusey, uh, he was a, a writer actually back in the 1800s. The 1800s, right? This is not today. This is over 200 years ago. He he writes this. He's an Anglican priest. He says, true peace is when the soul revolves around its center. Almighty God. True peace is when the soul revolves around its center. Almighty God. Craving for nothing but what God continually supplies. See, since the soul is large enough to contain the infinite God, nothing less than himself can satisfy it or fill it. Nothing less. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created even, as the Bible teaches us, to have the capacity for God to dwell with us. Not just to come in, 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 in human form as Jesus, but to then give us his spirit. And he goes, I'm going to make my home with you. You're never going to be apart from me. 
And while you may not be able to comprehend who I am in my infinite nature, my almighty power, I'm still going to dwell with you and never leave you alone. And this is where Pusey just puts his finger on something. Our soul, who we are, will only find rest when filled with that infinite God. The God who created us. The God who breathed his life into us in the very beginning. The God who created us in his image. And he says, nothing less can fill us. Nothing less can give us a peace, a contentment. Last week we said hope equals certainty. Today we're going to talk about how peace is contentment. You use that word because it's that word, I think it best illustrates that ability to take a deep breath and go, everything's going to be okay. How many of you need to know that everything's going to be okay? I'm reminded today that I need to hear each day that everything's going to be okay. Too much of life is outside of my hands. Too much of life goes well beyond my pay grade. Too much happens in life that is outside of my power and my control. And so in this life, I need to know somehow, way, that everything's going to be okay. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the Christmas story, not just a Christmas story, is that God is our peace. The one who created us, formed us, and fashioned us. The one who breathes his life into us, even today. Right, Our ability to breathe in this moment is gifted to us by a God who never leaves us, never forsakes us, never turns our back on him. Even though we may, he doesn't. He's holding us. We're going to dive into this story. Uh, we're continuing, as I mentioned, we're in Luke. Luke chapter 1. Last week we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Two priests, or, or folks who grew up in a priestly line. Zechariah has this vision of the angel Gabriel, one of what, what we would think throughout the Bible is like one of God's right-hand men, right? So one of his right-hand angels who was one of his key messengers, this is the messenger in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament that shows up to Daniel and says, by the way, Daniel, there will come a time where my son will sit on the throne. The king of kings will come. The God's kingdom will break in on earth even though it doesn't seem like that's going to happen even though things seem hopeless. And Gabriel comes to Zechariah and Elizabeth and says, by the way, you're going to have a son, which they couldn't. So this was astronomical. This is miraculous. And in this gift, your son would pave the way for my son, God says. That John, your son, would come and start turning people's hearts back to me. See, that's always God's intent. To get our hearts back to him. Get our hearts and our lives back to our center. And now, Gabriel shows up to a young lady, Mary. And we're talking young. We're talking teenager. Mary lives in a podunk town. And yes, I can say that. That's Nazareth back in the day. Mary isn't grown up with anything special. She's not like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Not one of some priestly descent. She has no special place in life. She's getting ready to be married to a carpenter. Most likely in her life, it wasn't going to be filled with riches and promise. She wasn't going to be remembered or remarkable. 
She was just going to be an average, everyday young lady who would be defined more by her children and her husband than herself. And this is the setting, this is the person in which we experience, we see Gabriel come and speak to. Let's hear God's word, starting in verse 26 of chapter 1, Gospel of Luke. In the sixth month of Elizabeth, of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. This virgin's name was Mary. Now the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I could see this great joy out of Gabriel. And then here, Mary was greatly troubled. Amen? Anyone? (laughs) Right? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, and again, this is the same thing he said to Zechariah. This is God coming with good news, always reminding us more than anything what the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Right? We have a God who comes to us and says, you don't need to be afraid of me. There's nothing to fear. Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. God has grace, that word favor. God's grace is coming to you. You've found favor with God. <laughs> you're going to conceive and give birth to a son and you're going to call him Jesus. What? <laughs> and not only that, He's going to be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. This is the prophecy of the Messiah, God's anointed one. She would have heard, had she's grown up in a Jewish household, she'd hear the echoes of the Old Testament prophets. So Gabriel's going, hey, God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Now, going to be fulfilled in this child that you're going to have as a virgin. He's going to be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary says, how will this be? Now her response isn't like Zechariah. Zechariah last week we talked about, he says, how can I be sure of this? And Gabriel's like, dude, I'm an angel standing in front of you. You want, you want more proof? So then he gave him the gift of silence. Mary, however, is going, how, um, hey, yo, I'm not even married yet. <laughs> I don't know how, how the biology and things work, right? How is this going to be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. And then he goes on to say, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. And then Gabriel says this, for no word from God will ever fail. Now listen to Mary's response. Talk about peace and contentment this morning. Peace and contentment in this young teenage girl. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. How many of you would do the same? 
right? Like, it, it, let's live in the story for a moment. Like, let's put ourselves in that position. How many of us could get past even the, huh? Right? I'm still scratching my head. And yet Mary understood something so deeply, understood what was going on right in front of her. This girl who had heard the stories of the promises of God, this girl who was like, you know what, I, I don't know how anything, in all intents and purposes, she shouldn't be able to make sense of it. And yet, because she saw Gabriel, she understood who her God was, she could say, may, oh, may your word be fulfilled in me. And if you don't give up on your word, I want that in my life. You see, she understood, I think when we talk about peace and contentment, that we have to wrestle with where the source of that peace really is. That peace is from God. She knew that Gabriel was a messenger from God. And that if he was the messenger of God and he would speak God's word, she could trust herself to that. But the question for us lies in our lives, where do we look for as the source of our contentment? How many times are we looking for life to be perfect in order for us to be content? How many times in life do we actually just resign ourselves to the circumstance and call that peace with more of a fatalistic idea? It's just what it'll be. How about Eeyore? Oh, bother. And we just say peace is something that it actually isn't. What's our source? Mary was going to trust in God's word. Mary was going to trust in this angel who would, who would deliver a promise, a promise of peace that was about ready to come in her life, even though it would disrupt her life. But it was a peace, it was a contentment that was bigger than, stronger than, and enough to be able to hold her and hold the entirety of the world. Where's the source of our peace? Where are we looking today? Where do we maybe need an angel to step in, something miraculous to take place? C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books, a theologian, he writes this, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There's no such thing. See, the God who created us, the story of the Christian faith, the Christmas story, is about a God saying, you were created to be in relationship, a right relationship with me. Sin has come in and disrupted that, has destroyed that, has messed it up, and my whole goal is to restore that. And if you're looking for peace somewhere else, and listen, we look for peace in a lot of good things. Things that we would say are gifts from God. But God goes, even those things, even those things can't supply. Only God can. Lewis says, hey, listen, if you're looking for it in anything other than what he, what he gives, apart from himself, there's no such thing. The peace Mary has is anchored in God. But there's also a peace she understood because when, when the angel Gabriel gives the name Jesus, Jesus means something. Jesus literally means the Lord, Yahweh, this God of covenant, this God of promise is the God who saves. That the peace 
that comes from God is our peace with God. That we are whole in him. That nothing sin could do to us can separate us from him. J.I. Packer, another pastor and writer, says this, The peace of God is first and foremost peace with God. Right? If we want to get to full contentment, we got to, we got to start. Our starting point is that God has, in Paul's words in Ephesians, has torn down the dividing wall. That's sin. That's all of our mistakes, our missteps, whether we did it on purpose or whether we did it by accident. It's all of the broken things that happen to us that are outside of our control, and all of that is within our control. And all of that separates us, but he says, listen, get the good news of Jesus, this Jesus who saves, goes, I'm taking that wall down, so there's nothing anymore that separates you from me. And J.I. Packer says, listen, it starts here. It's first and foremost peace with God. It's the state of affairs in which God, instead of being against us, is for us. No account of God's peace, which does not start here, can do other than mislead. The Christmas story is about a God who saves. A God who has stepped into the world, who has taken on the fullness of humanity, the fullness of all that is good in us, but also the fullness of all that is wrong in us. And he would then go to a cross and he would die a death that our lives, man, we couldn't, we couldn't, there's nothing in our lives that could tear that wall down. But he would do so. He would give his life willingly so that we could have it. Peace with God. Jesus, the Lord, saved. Mary would also hear echoes as, as Gabriel speaks about the kingdom. He'll be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father, David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This would be echoes of Isaiah 9. Listen to these words from the prophet back in the Old Testament. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of Wholeness, Shalom. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, rightness from that time on and forever. And Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That zeal, that passion, that desire of God will accomplish this. God's desire was to restore a wholeness that had been long torn apart. In a world that was given to brokenness, God says, I'm going to start to make things new. When Christ came, his kingdom was inaugurated. When Christ returns, we will see his kingdom finally and fully. And in the meantime, he starts that project in us. It may not always be around us, but by his power, he starts that work in us. Not only do we have peace with God, but that peace, like with Mary, is a fruit. We have the peace of God. Right? That when we know that God is with us, that no matter what we face, he isn't going to let us go. 
when we know that all of that which is broken in this life, even to the extent of death itself, God won't let that separate us. Paul writes in Romans, Romans 8, neither heights nor, nor depths, neither angels nor demons, neither life nor death, nothing can separate us from the love of God our Father that is in Christ Jesus. And that starts to give us a peace and a contentment that carries us through life in the midst of life that's stronger than what anything around us can do for us. That peace, it's what allows Mary to say, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word, be, word to me be fulfilled. Packer, I'm go back to him one more time. It says this, there's no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with the full assurance that they have known God and God has known them. Greatest gift we can have in life is God knows you. He knows you. He loves you. And he ain't ever going to let go of you. And that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and forever. His favor. What does Gabriel say to Mary? You who are highly favored. She didn't earn that at all. She was no one special, right? We'll put it that way. She wasn't a priest. She was in a podunk Nazareth. And yet God saw her, knew her, and chose to work through her for the sake of the world. This is the God who is present and alive in us. There's a beautiful writing that I came across this week thinking about this peace that sustained Mary, a peace that can sustain us. It's from Daniel Darling, and I'd like to read it um, for us. So if you don't mind, uh, here's a little Christmas story for you, but... Hear these words. Daniel Darling writes this in the characters of Christmas, the unlikely people caught up in the story of Jesus. He says, what Mary was saying yes to. That's the, the part of his, his section here. He said, at the angel's words, Mary had a simple response. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. In other words, Mary said yes to God. And this was no simple yes. Let's consider what Mary was signing up for. You see, Mary was saying yes to bearing the shame of an unwed pregnancy at a time when this carried incredible social stigma. Would her friends and family believe her claims to have been visited by the Holy Spirit? Would Joseph stay with her or would he put her away? See, we know the end of the story, but Mary didn't. Not at this time. Mary was saying yes to raising the Son of God. Comprehend that a moment. <laughs> By the way, you're now responsible for, for raising the promised one of the entirety of the world, through whom the world was created and through whom the world is sustained. And by the way, we'll save the world. You're, you're his mom. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's hard enough to raise a fallen child, but imagine the burden of raising Jesus. Imagine her fear every time he got a cold, every time he left the home to play with his friends, every time he picked up a sharp knife in Joseph's carpentry shop. 
Sure, God would ensure that Jesus would only die according to plan. But for Mary, the responsibility of caring for this most important child, it'd be staggering. Mary was saying yes to a lifetime of roller coaster emotions. She'd seen him feed multitudes. She will see him feed multitudes, raise people from the dead, walk on water. But she'd also see him be mocked, jeered, taunted, even at times by his family and hometown friends. Mary would have to hold him close, and she'd also have to let him go. She'd feed him and clothe him and rock him to sleep. She'd see him push away and grow into manhood. She'd be rebuked by him even at a wedding. But most of all, though, Mary knew what was coming. Right As that promised son of David, she knew what the prophets would speak of. She knew that this son of God would bear the sin of the world and die for the world. She knew what was coming. She may not have understood all that Calvary would bring, the cross would bring, but she knew enough to dread that day her son was unjustly put on trial by his own people, her people. She knew enough to feel the foreboding sense prophesied by Simeon in the temple that he'd be beaten senseless, hung on a tree, nails in his hands and a sword in his side. Every parent's nightmare is to see their children suffer. And Mary would live this in the most acute and agonizing way possible. So this is what Mary was saying yes to. And yet she said yes. Yes, I will do it, Lord. Mary may have trembled when she uttered those words, right? We don't know. My guess is probably. And yet she didn't have a choice, right? There are these moments in life where you're like, I I, I don't have any other choice. I have to. She gave the same answer all true believers give when visited by God. If this is really true, if the baby in her womb was the Messiah, the promised one who would save her and all who believe from their sins, then of course she had to say yes. And today that same question is being asked of people like you and me. What will we say to Jesus? Will you say yes? Will you, like Mary, turn your back on your dreams and say yes to the one who died for you? But listen, Mary could only say yes because one day, some 30 years later, her son would say yes to God. See, it wasn't her ability, it was God in her. Mary could say yes to the hard call of discipleship because Jesus said yes to the cup of God's wrath and anger in the garden. Our yes is made possible because Jesus said yes to the Father. God would sustain Mary from a humble teenage girl in a backwater town to the mother, the Messiah, and pillar of the early church. Through Christ's yes, she would experience a strength, a peace, a contentment, no matter what she faced. Because she knew her son, God's son, was the prince of peace. And his kingdom has no end. This contentment is reflected in Paul. I'm going to end here today, but it's words of Paul in Philippians. Paul was a follower of Jesus. Life was radically changed. Listen to how he talks about peace. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. 
He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstance. He says rejoice in the Lord. The source of our peace, the source, the one who is with us, the one who won't leave us. Rejoice in him. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Again, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Mary had a conversation with, with Gabriel, didn't she? Right? God's not afraid of our conversation, not afraid of us bringing our prayers, our petitions, and our thanksgivings before him. And Paul says this, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? It's something bigger than us. It's something outside of Mary. It's something outside of, of Paul. It's something outside of me. It's the peace of God. He goes on to say this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, what is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Right? Where's our focus? Where's the source of life for us? Whatever you do, whatever you've learned, he said, or received from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and then listen to this turn of phrase where he said the peace of God before he says now, and the God of peace will be with you. Not just something God will give, but God himself. The God of peace will be with you. The Prince of peace will be with you. It was, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So that I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. He could speak to the fact, I know what it is to be stoned. I know what it is to be near death. I know what it is to have lost I know what it is to have seen success. All of these things I have learned, though, in these things. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This isn't a verse about catching a baseball, folks. This is a verse of peace. It's a verse that reminds us that peace, the biblical peace, what we talk about in the Christmas story, when we look to Jesus who has come, who has given his life, we see him as our source. God is our peace. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God dwells with us. We are favored by God. No matter where we grew up, no matter where we've been, no matter where we are, God's favor, his smile is upon us. And he goes, guess what? My son Jesus has come to save you. No matter your circumstances and situations. And by the way, me, who, who gave you life, is the one who's going to continue to give you life. Even when it, se when it seems like there is no life possible. But I am your peace. Paul says that's the secret. The secret to shalom, to being whole, is like Edward Pusey said. Letting our life revolve around its center. That only the God who our soul was built for can truly fill it. And Jesus is just reminding us today if you're looking for other things, you may find it for a little while, but it won't be there for long. 
It can't fill you. Only the Almighty God can. And the promise of God is this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The one who gave birth to Jesus within Mary can give birth to Jesus within us. Can give life in our soul and in our spirit. Can give life in this life and eternally. Why? Because Jesus came to save. And the good news for Mary is good news for us. Will we be able to, along with her, say, Lord, may it be to me as your word says. Because you won't fail. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are our peace. I don't always look to you for peace and for my wholeness. That's reality. <laughs> look to a lot of other things. I look to I oftentimes get caught in my circumstances. My eyes shift to brokenness in the world, brokenness that has happened in my life, where things have gotten out of sorts, where things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sometimes my eyes get focused on my failings, my mistakes. The things I've been dealing with a thousand times over. The things that I realized for the first time. God, and yet by your Holy Spirit, you open our eyes to see things that we couldn't see on our own. And Lord, I'm going to ask that you do that for us today. It may not be through an angelic presence like Gabriel that we become aware of your gospel, your good news in our life. Your saving and ultimately your peace, the wholeness we can find in Jesus. Lord, it may be in a still small voice. This morning for some, it may be through the words that you have put in my heart and my mind. It may be through your story, the scriptures, this special revelation that you have gifted to us. Maybe it was through a quote of C.S. Lewis, J.I. Packer, or from a book. Lord, it may be in an interaction that we have later on today. It may be in the days to come, through a song, through the words of a friend. But nonetheless, Lord, come. Bring us your word that says, do not be afraid. You who are highly favored, remind us of your grace, that favor that you have, that love that you have for us that love that can transform us and give shape to us. Lord, and again, give us the ability to say, in God we trust you. Because in your hands, we know all things will be okay. I can do all things through you who gives me strength. Lord, that's not a promise to me as a pastor. That's a promise to each one of us as your loved children. Thank you. Thank you for that good news in Jesus. Thank you for a peace that surpasses all understanding, that can guard our hearts and minds. And thank you that when we say, Lord, please give us that. Lord, you have the ability, and at some point in time you will, make good on the promise to bless us with it. How do we pray these prayers? In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how to get involved in our watershed community or how to support Harderwijk Ministries, please visit us at harderwijk.com.